Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. It's going to be lesson three. We're going to be talking about maintaining lines of modesty. Philippians 4 and 5 declares, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray right now. God, we thank you for an opportunity to come and to hear your word. God, I pray that you would bless it. I pray you would bless that it's... It is delivered. I pray you would bless as it is heard, as it is received in the heart. God, I pray you would change lives. I pray you would add hope. God, speak for these mount, these lips of clay, your words of life. God, I pray for your glory, for your honor alone. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Maintaining lines of modesty. Each and every day, as a preface, each and every day when I walk into work, probably you as well, you have a dress code. You have certain things you must wear, certain things you must not wear at times. I, myself, personally, I, before I walk into the building, I have to have on a hard hat, I have to have on safety glasses, I have to have on hard-soled work boots, preferably steel-toed, and high-visibility clothing. I don't agree with that last one, but that's okay. I mostly do it anyway. There are many, many other places that will have similar requirements based on the environment that you live in the environment that you work in, if you work at schools, if you work at uh, a business otherwise, if you, work at, if you go to restaurants, some golf courses, on and on. Everywhere you look, there are standards of what you can and cannot wear. Depending on the task that I'm doing at any day or any moment, the dress code can change slightly. If there are typical hazards that are present that are not normally present, I will have to account for that. I'll have to wear certain types of gloves, certain types of uh, jacket, certain types of all sorts of stuff. There's all sorts of precautions that I will need to take because there's hazards present that aren't usually there. Such is the same as what we'll discuss tonight. It's simply a starting point. The point is, before I walk into the door at work, there's a base. There's a standard of things that I have to wear, things I cannot wear. Now, based on the hazards present that day, it can get more strict, but it will never get lower than that point. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about modesty. We're going to talk about some baseline. Now, if there are hazards and things present in your life, in your particular area, that may not be dependent, there may not be similar to what I go through. So those can change up. Those cannot change to go below. This is how God lays out these foundations within his word. The advertisement industry wants us to accept the notion that image is everything. How you look is everything. Though sometimes this can be partly true. You must be displaying the correct image. You have to be putting on the correct image. If your image is to be everything, you have to make sure you're displaying the correct things. Being in the likeness of Christ, his image, his character, his uh, everything that makes Christ who he is, we need to be reflecting that. We need to be displaying that. And that's the primary things we're going to talk about tonight. The trends coming from fashion industry continue to push us away from being this set-apart, displayed example of who he is and more of the opposite of what he represents. Genesis 1 and 26 tells us, And God said, Let us make man in our image. 
in our image and our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and every other thing, oh, pardon, male and female created he them. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I look like him. God created you to look like him. That's one of the primary purposes that he gives us is to look like him. Where you go, how you handle your money should look like how he handles his money. How you dress should look like how he would dress. How your media intake should mirror what his media intake would be had he been alive today. The language that you speak, the habits that you have, the appetites that are in your life. Everything, every single piece of your life is displaying a similar likeness of Christ, or it should be. It should be displaying pieces of who he is. At the end of the day, those that work around you, those that are around you consistently, should be able to take these pieces that you are displaying and put together a beautiful picture. They should be able to put together hope. They should be able to put together light. They should be able to put together life. All these wonderful, beautiful things that Christ is, they should be able from us to see that picture. That is our purpose. If I'm not displaying who he is by the way that I live, I'm not fulfilling one of my primary purposes. If I'm not showing people who he is, then I'm showing people who he's not. I'm showing people what something else is. There's a bondage that comes with no boundaries. There's a bondage that comes when you try to live in a way that has no boundaries. It has no bounds. It has no limitations. It has no restrictions. The immoral freedoms that were demanded in the revolutions in the 1960s have produced wide sweeping bondage today. The free love movement of the 60s brought with the attitude that I will wear whatever I wish to wear. With Hollywood's backing and influence, people started dressing more and more promiscuously. They started wearing whatever they wished, and the trend has not changed today. It continues. Has there really been any heartache, though, produced from this movement? Has there been any repercussions in society based on that starting point? Drug use by teenagers is 50% less when parents set clear and distinct rules. When they set boundaries, you're 59% less likely. Drug use was 2.4 times higher among those that were not involved in church-related activities than those that were. 2.4 times higher. Drug use is four times higher among students receiving poor grades than those receiving good grades. Let's continue. Two times more likely to drink or to get drugs, or to, to drink or to get drunk. Three times more likely to use illegal drugs. Six times more likely to attempt suicide. So that is the, dis the displaying of what God is not. That is what it looks like to display his, the, uh, a character of the enemy. That is what it looks like to display a character of hopelessness. Not the character of life, the character of hope, the character of God. There is a publication... I work a lot of times around uh, Indiana University. There's a publication that is put out called the Indiana Daily Student. Uh, I read an article in there recently, just yesterday actually, and it was promoting the end of prohibition of any sort of illegal drugs. Any sort. We need to open the borders. We need to take the fences down. All, any and all drugs need to be openly okay to be used, recreationally medicinally, whatever the case, you need to just open the borders. That's what it looks like when you live without boundaries. You continue to push that fence back. Well, that fence doesn't suit me anymore. I need to push it back some more. That's not convenient anymore. This area isn't big enough anymore, so I need to keep pushing the fence until you don't realize, where am I? What's going on? 
Where did all this mess come from? Where did all this stuff come from? Modesty defined in publication, Living with Limits, produced by Rutland, says, and I quote, Modesty submits to the boundaries of decency. It is the opposite of being self-indulgent, self-inflating, or putting oneself forward in the sense of being overly aggressive or presumptuous. Modesty springs from a tempered evaluation and a humble, humble estimation of one's self. Modesty is not merely unobtrusive or bashful. It knows how to live with limits. Continuing, modesty acknowledges that there are God-placed limits of decency in my life and that it is good to submit to them. It sees that those restraints as being positive safeguards and not negative hindrances. Modesty says, there are things in this world that are right for me to do, and there are things in this world that are not right for me to do, end quote. Modesty has far more to do with self-respect, with self-control than your clothes. Modesty in how you dress is simply an applic one application, just as how you give is an application of worship. Dressing modestly is an application of modesty of your heart. Modesty covers more than a hemline and encompasses a life of self-control. Worldliness is not merely immodest dress. It is a way of thinking. It is an ideology. You can dress more modestly than anyone you know and yet be further from modesty within your heart than you would expect. Modesty and holiness are ways that you fulfill the call that we get within Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Prove there is to display is to show we are to live our lives consecrated, set aside, set apart, so we can show those that do not have hope what hope looks like, to show those that are not walking in light what light looks like, to show those that do not know him how they can know him and how wonderful it is to know him. What a small, small way that we can point others towards him, an amazing form of worship we have in modesty. The protection of modesty. Modesty is a protection. Modesty is sacred protection and a mark of separation. Psychologists have found that children without a fence around a playground will tend to sheepishly play one with another in circles closer to the center of the playground. They won't go out to the near the edge because there's no fence marking that. They will stay inside close where they know they're within these boundaries. Rather, if you go to that same playground, same children, same application, and put a fence up, the kids will go free. They'll run around in every inch of that territory. What does that say? It says when there's boundaries defined, it's a lot easier to be comfortable in a relationship with God. It's a lot easier to walk comfortably in modesty when there's fence posts, when there's things that are designed to tell me, stop there. Stone Mountain, Georgia, uh, Stone Mountain in Georgia is one of our country's great wonders. The colossal chunk of rock has a very unique slope. At the very top, it's gradual, it's easy, it's nearly flat. And then just out of nowhere, you just fall off. There are several, several that have been lulled into a false sense of security when they begin to walk down it, and then they realize they're at a point of no return. They start walking, and then out of nowhere, they can't turn back. Out of nowhere, I, I cross, there is a point I cross, and I can't go back. What's, what's the deal? 
I've shared this quote with you before, but let me share it again. In C.S. Lewis's book titled Screwtape Letters, he says, and I quote, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, end quote. That's a hard, that's a hard quote for me sometimes, but it's such a wonderful reminder that when I see fences, that's saving me from something beyond that fence. That's saving me from when that gentle slope turns into a drop-off. That's saving me from when my mind sometimes will tell me there's not guidances there, there's not areas there that I need to stop for. It will remind me, I need to stop here. It'll remind me, I may not agree with where this fence is, but it's there to keep me back. It's there to hold me. It's there to protect me. It's there to keep me within the boundaries in my relationship with him. Every person should know the blessings of boundaries. God has erected fences and warning signs within his word that will tell us specific ways we should not pass specific points. In some areas, I may not agree with some things, but God's word is final. I've heard the quote before, before you ever remove a fence or a boundary, you must first pause long enough to realize why it was there. Before I ever go around trying to take down fences spiritually, take down fences of safeguards that are in my life, in my home, before I ever try to take down a fence, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge why that fence is there. What's on the other side of that fence? The grass isn't greener just because it's on the other side. The grass is greener over there because they water their grass. So go water your grass. These fences will keep us from going to a certain point. They will keep us inside the limits of life where death is just outside. Inside the limits of hope where hopelessness is just outside. Inside the limits of peace where chaos is just out there. I'm so thankful for boundaries. My flesh sometimes isn't very thankful for them because sometimes they hurt. But, but man, I'm thankful. that Sometimes I'm walking along and things will jar me to stop. And who knows what could have been just a step ahead, just a thought ahead, just an action ahead that God has prevented me from going into that territory because he loves me, because he loves you, because he wishes to keep you in those green pastures. He wishes to keep you in those beautiful places in relationship with him. Job 1 and 10, Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. So this is where it gets really cool. This is where it's really cool. Because a fence will serve two purposes. A fence will keep something in, and a fence will keep something out. So not only do these boundaries that are set up keep me inside, they keep lots of other stuff outside. So when we look at Job in this particular scenario, whenever... The, whenever Satan came in and said, well, let me just come into his fences, let me come into his territories, that tells me there's lots of boundaries that was around Job. There was a hedge around Job because of his, uh, because of obedience to God, because of obedience to his word and his relationship with God, there were boundaries. There were things Job stayed within, so there were things that on the outside had to stay away from Job. It can be easy a lot of times to picture these things as, I really want to cross this line. I really want to participate in fill in the blank. I really want to go and fill in the blank. I really want to fill in the blank. There's no black and white scripture on fill in the blank. But 
but that's keeping a lot of stuff outside. Because if I move that fence, if I move that fence open and open that gate a little bit, that allows me to access out, but it also allows a lot of other things access in. And when you allow things in, you can't control what comes in and what stays out. If I open the door to one particular section of evil, a lot of other stuff's going to come in with it. I can't just allow pride to come in and expect everything else to stay out. I can't just allow, to, to, to me, it's, it's foolish to think that I can control what can come in. Because when you open that door, when you move those fences, when you move those boundaries, when you move that hedge in any way, not only will you be on the outside, but everything else will be allowed to come in. It is an open door. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's an open door. Let's talk boundaries and relationships. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light and darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Separate, consecrated, fences, boundaries, distinctions, things that keep things out, things that keep me in. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. God's people have been called to be unique. You have been called to be peculiar. You have been called by some standards weird. I've been called to be strange. But if I'm strange to a culture that I see outside, I'm so thankful I'm weird. I'm so thankful I'm weird because times will come when they see, man, that guy's really weird. There's hope around him. And then there's a moment of hopelessness in that person's life, and they're like, there's a well of hope over there. Then it's cool to be weird. Then they see that's a supply house. They see, and then that's that, that distinct reflection that you have as you're reflecting God's character. Because then they see, man, that guy's weird. Why is he so happy all the time? Man, that guy's weird. Why is he humming and whistling and acting all happy? It's Monday. Doesn't he know it's Monday? Why is he so happy? Because we have a hope beyond this world. I have a hope beyond Monday, believe it or not. We have a hope. Limits are a blessing and not a curse. Ignoring danger signs is a hazardous and fatal thing to do. Straying beyond the boundaries of holy protection is asking for trouble. Boundaries and appearance. God is interested in what we wear. God cares what you wear. Because that's what people see. If I tell people, tell I'm blue in the face, that I'm a Christian, that I believe, that I'm this, that I'm that, they're not going to believe me if I don't look it in the slightest bit. I don't have to be pretty. Thank the Lord. <laughs> but I have to look it. I have to look modest. I have to look set aside. I have to look sanctified. I have to look like something's different in order for them to believe something's different. God made Adam and Eve new garments to replace their immodest ones. The Old Testament priests were to wear distinctive and modest garments. Even the altar they were, that was built was built to accommodate their clothing that they could remain modest. Even though Jesus left his grave clothes in the tomb, when he came back and appeared to the people after his resurrection, he was fully clothed. 
It matters what you wear. After the man that was dwelling uh, among the tombs, after he was delivered from demonic, uh, after demonic forces were cast out of him, he was clothed and in his right mind. God cares what you wear because that's his temple. We read just earlier that we are the temple of the living God. God cares what his temple lives like, what it looks like. He doesn't want it to be all dilapidated and looks awful and has fallen apart at the seams. God wants it to look presentable, nice, beautiful, lovely. Let's talk modesty for men. In many churches, the ladies receive an overt amount of attention concerning dress. What's the first question you get when you're at work or wherever you are and you get somebody figures out your Pentecost, like, oh, you're one of them snake churches? You're one of them skirt churches. That's what it is. I'm just being sure. That's, that's the first two questions I get, without a doubt. First two. So a lot of times women are the ones that receive all the attention because their modesty is more within clothes, within dress, out in front. But there's a lot of ways that us men need to be modest. Does my attire give glory to God? I'm speaking to men. We'll get to women in just a second. But I'm speaking to men right now. Does my attire give glory to God? It's how I look. And this means when you go to Walmart at midnight. This means when you go get groceries. This means when you come to church. This means when you go everywhere. Does my attire glorify God? Does it bring attention to my face? Or does it bring attention to places that don't? Take that one where, you, where it applies. Modesty looks in the mirror first. Modesty looks in the mirror and says, is there anything distracting? Is there anything that people are just going to be like, man, did you see Dylan tonight? His wife does not care for him. <laughs> too loose or too tight? It's not right. Modesty guards against extremes. And as we talked earlier, modesty is a condition of the heart, not of the clothes. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And out of the abundance of the heart, I believe it will be shown. So if you've got issues of modesty on the outside, there's issues of modesty on the inside. Does what I wear really give glory to God, or does it attract undue attention everywhere else? Dress like who you are. I'm a child of the king. I'm a prince. I'm underneath the king. So I'm going to dress like I'm the king's child. Modesty in our actions, 1 Timothy 2 and 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. There are three areas of modesty for men within our actions, within our attitudes. First is our actions, lifting up holy hands. It can be so easy at times for us to slip into the passive, non-confrontational, easygoing Christian guy. I don't want no trouble. Jesus was easygoing. I want to be easy going. Jesus was a guy that didn't pick fights. I don't want to pick fights. I just want to go along, and I want to be that guy that everybody likes, guy that everybody gets along with. Ask, ask those people back when, the, and my mind just went blank. Ask the Pharisees how they felt about Jesus. They didn't like him. They really didn't like him. If there's areas of sin going on, that area should not like you. It should hate you. It should be like, man, every time I go to visit that guy, he just punches me in the face. Actions. We need to be modest in our actions. Secondly, anger. This speaks of out-of-control passions, unbridled appetites. Speaks of how we compose ourselves. When we have anger rising up inside us, can we snuff it out? Or does it have to blow out? 
Are there appetites? Are there hobbies? Are there certain things that we do as men that need to be toned back, that are taking control of a lot of areas in our life that need more attention, like our relationship with God? These are areas that we can be modest, modest in our actions, modest in our anger. Thirdly, modest in our apathy. Men tend to check out when it comes to commitment and emotions. I will amen myself on that. I tend to check out sometimes with emotions. It can be easy to coast through moments without passion, without emotion. But let's be active with our faith. When the opportunity arises at work to speak life, to speak hope, to speak love, let's do it. Let's not shy away, be like, well, I don't, I don't want to be that emotional guy. I'm a man. I don't show emotion. Let's be emotional. Let's show God's love. Let's show God's anger towards sin. Let's show God's passion. Let's show his emotion modestly. We have to be modest in how we spend our money and our time. God tells us in Micah 6 and 8, but to do justice, love kindness, and walk modestly with our God. Proverbs 11.2 goes on, and with the modest ones live wisdom, lies wisdom. In Judaism, the most heroic acts were done in private with no fanfare. Nobody knew until after the fact they were even done. These are qualities that represent the essence of modesty. Doing things without needing a spotlight on it. Doing things without needing, well, I need, pastor better tell me that I did a good job. I took out the trash. He better tell me I did a good job taking out the trash. He better tell me I did a good job doing this and that, and it better be shown in the church. It, they better put it all on the screen. <laughs> These are th ways that we can practice modesty. Doing things because they need done, not because you'll get notoriety. I'm still with men here. Women, you can get with me. But I'm with men specifically. Because it can be easy to do things and think, nobody saw me. Nobody saw me do it. But they recognized that it was done. All right, let me get off that soapbox. So this is a great way to practice modesty and kill pride at the same time. So modesty for ladies. The primary purpose of many fashion designers is to exalt the ego to attract attention to the flesh that doesn't need to be there and stir up desires and ignite passion in other people, thereby appealing to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, which the Bible condemns very greatly in 1 John 2 and 16. Picking up where we left off earlier for the men in 1 Timothy 2, we're going to read 9 and 10, verse 9 and 10 of that. In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness, with sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, which, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. There are three areas of modesty for the ladies. First is your apparel, to adorn yourself in modest apparel. Secondly is, to, is your attitude with submission, with humility, and with sobriety. Thirdly is your appearance, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array. Proverbs 7 and 10 says, And behold, there met with him a woman with the attire of a harlot and a subtle of heart. Your dress makes a statement about who you are. Many times people will make assumptions and presumptions about you just based on the way you dress before they ever talk to you, before they have any idea even what your name is. They'll make presumptions about who you are, about how you are, your character and such, based on how you're dressed, based
based on how you present your temple. How your temple looks on the outside, people will obviously sometimes just assume what it looks like on the inside. Anyway, if you claim to be a child of God, if you espouse holiness, then there are automatic limitations on your dress as well as your lifestyle. The world teaches us that in order to be loved, you have to be the beauty of today's standards. You have to be sensual. You have to be alluring. You have to be all of these things. We are assaulted daily by billboards, books, TV shows, and probably biggest of most, social media feeds that tell you a very, very different thing of what God teaches us. I heard a quote once, the issue is not that the world culture marches to the beat of a different drum, rather that it marches to the beat of a different drummer. The reason what we do is so countercultural is because we are serving light while others darkness. And the way you dress modest in your apparel is a great way to display that. Dress to bring honor to the Lord, not to attract improper attention to yourself. Dress to draw attention to your face and nowhere else. Not too light, not too loose, not too transparent. If you question it, you may well already have your answer. The lawful and the expedient. Look at your neighbor and say, what is the difference? So thankful you asked. 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Hold on, that's a game changer. So with what I do with my actions, things that might be expedient, they might be allowed, there may not be, hold up, there may not be a specific line drawn out. There's not a specific line, maybe, that says, thou shalt not, fill in the blank, thou shalt not. But, but now we're reading in 1 Corinthians that those things have power over me. So those things that I do, they show who I serve, who's leading me, who I'm listening to. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful, but all things edify not. There are some issues of holiness and sanctification that are clearly marked in Scripture, as we just talked about. In many instances, the Word of God leaves no doubt about right and wrong. But the last wording of this Scripture, not all things edify, not all things build up, not all things are good. Maybe they're allowed, but they're not good. If there's some, some habits, some attitudes, some ideas, some things within me that are not edifying me, if I ain't going up, I'm probably going down. It's probably that real gradual, steep, you know, real gradual grade that we're talking about. If, they, if, if, if I'm not filling my life, my heart, my mind, my spirit with things that edify me, what's the point in having them in my life? What's the point in filling my mind with all these things? If they're not bringing me closer to Him. If they're not edifying me, then why am I allowing them in? If they're not fortifying my fence, my boundaries, these blessings of boundaries, why would I allow them? Why would I partake? How are we going to go handle questions about whether to go or to not go? Fill in the blank. What to do or not do? What to wear 
or not wear by setting modest standards. Remember, we talked about the standard of dress. And there are certain hazards, certain implications that will go above that, but nothing should go below that. There are some things that are not evil, but they can lead to evil. Some things that, you know, might not kill you, but they sure won't help you. Be careful when it comes to the boundaries of modesty. Hebrews 12 and 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. 1 Corinthians 9, 25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it under subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. So let's read, uh, let's read verse 25. Oh, I'm sorry, that's a later date. When it comes to questioning concerns of actions, concerns of activity, concerns of dress, it's better to err on the side caution. If you're on that real, real slight grade where you can feel, but, but in your head you're like, I'm still fine. I'm good. I'm strong. I can handle that step. Then you go one step further. I'm good. I'm still enjoying church. I'm still getting behind the word. I'm still good. My family's still fine. And then you're just one. I'm still good. Still completely fine. I can listen to that. I can watch that. I can partake in that. I can read that. I can fill in the blank. And I'm completely fine. Before you know it, whoa, where did, I was way over there a minute ago. How did I get over here? How did I get to where this drop off? How did I get so close to the line? It's that real slight, slight, slight grade. Slippery slopes. That's why we need to err on the side of caution, on the side of righteousness. Should I or should I not? Is it a step towards death? Should I or which way are you stepping? You stepping towards the ledge or are you stepping towards the boundaries? I know it's simple. But it's necessary for us to keep this in our minds. Everything we do is feeding you in one way or another. Everything you read, everything you fill in the blank is feeding something. It's edifying something. Is it edifying that which is in me that's fighting against me? Or is it helping me fight? That is the important question. There's three principles of boundaries in order to keep these boundaries in our minds to to continually fortify these boundaries. There's three principles we must do. First is call evil by its real name. Sin. Sin. Romans 12 and 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Stay away from death. Cling to life. Stay away from mess. Stick with peace. Stay away from drama. And stick with tranquility. Stay away from all that mess that's closer to the edge. I'm going to stay up here on the top. I like the view, and I like to live. Secondly, set clear boundaries. Know what you will allow into your mind. What will it take for you to walk away? With that movie you're watching, that conversation that comes up, what's the line? 
What's the line where I will walk away? Well, I don't want to make him mad. I don't want to be rude. If they're bringing that stuff up in front of you, that is rude. So you can respond accordingly. Get out of there. What's the line? We have to set these lines. If not, if you don't want to write them down and do all that, put it in your head. What's the line? What's the line? Know what the Bible says about standards. Because if the fences are blurry in your mind, it can be easy to stroll right past them. If you look at that fence in your mind, if you look at those boundaries, when it comes to conversation, when it comes to media, when it comes to all these things, if the fence is like a 10-foot tall, humongous fence because it's fresh in your mind, because you know, what every, you know everything what the Lord says about this specific area, you know that fence forward and backwards, you're not passing that fence. You're not going to casually, accidentally slip past that thing. You're going to see it coming. You're going to see that ginormous wall in front of you. You're like, whoa, whoa, I'm really close. Let me back up. But if that, if that fence is fuzzy, that fence is a little blurry, I'm not exactly sure what the Bible and my pastor says on this idea or that. I'm just, I'm just going to leave that alone. I'm just going to... It has a tendency to just stroll right past that boundary line because it's not clearly marked. You don't have a fence there, so it's easy to pass into some other territory. Familiarize ourselves with the boundaries. Psalm 101 and 3, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. I hate sin. Hate it. I won't cleave to it. Familiarize ourselves with the difference, with the fence, with what's on the other side. Thirdly, remove obvious sources of temptation. Remove obvious sources of temptation. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You've heard it said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right hand offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that any one of your members should perish, and not the whole body be cast into hell. It's easy to look at this scripture and get really scared really quick. Whoa. But, but I need my eyes. There's some cool things I'm going to do for the Lord. And if I don't have my eyes, I'm not going to be able to do it. Sometimes if you have your eyes, you're not going to be able to do it. If you have your hands, you may not be able to do it. Now, I'm not telling you to go amputate crazy. Don't think that. But know your boundaries. Know what it's going to take to set crazy limitations. Like giving step up that people are going to call crazy for. To set aside certain inlets of media if they're influencing you in a negative way. Just get rid of it. Who cares if people call you crazy? They'll call you crazy for something. Might as well be something you're trying to be righteous for. Noted author David Bernard states, In matters of opinion, even though we have liberty, we must still apply the principle of love. Even though you have freedom, best be careful. Freedom is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Unfortunately, we find this out right out of the gate with Adam and Eve. They had freedom, but you have to be careful have to watch your boundaries. 
Some things may be permissible, but are they best? Are they a hindrance or are they encouragement? Are they edifying me or are they discouraging me? Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. Behold, the, Lord is at ha- the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Sin is separation. Sin causes more separation. It causes you to not realize how separated we are. Sin will cause me not to realize how much sin is in my life and how far I have wandered because sin invites more sin. Like we talked about earlier, if you open the door, you can't control how many things walk in. If you open the door to one thing, he's probably got some buddies coming with him. If you open the door to pride, there's probably going to be more stuff coming in. And then you'll wonder in your life, in your family, in all sorts of areas, where did this come from? I never struck. Oh, yeah. I opened the door. I let that in. I let that in. Practices of modesty keep training. Never think that you've arrived. Never think, I'm good. I've climbed pretty high. I think I enjoy the view here. I'll just coast through this thing. I'll just coast through this relationship. I'm good. I'm good at this level. This level's good. Anything higher? I don't want to do that. 1 Corinthians 9. I'm going to read one verse in the uh, New International Version, verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So it's talking about games as in a competitive nature. Have you ever met an athlete that didn't physically train? Not a good one anyway. Not a good athlete. All athletes will train in a specific area for their event, for their activity. They will train hard. This is exactly what we must do as children of the king. We must practice. We must train. We must continually see where our weaknesses are. And I know it's hard to admit you have weaknesses, but we do. All of us. We all have little chinks in our armor, but we have to continually fortify those. We have to continually try and try to train and train and train. Stand with me, please. Secondly is take extreme action. Take crazy action if it requires it. If you're in an area and you're like, man, I just really can't seem to beat this thing, cut it out. Remove it. Whatever area it has to talk into my ear, to speak into my heart, I'm removing it. I'm getting rid of it. It may be really inconvenient. It may just really ruin my day. But it's going to really make your day when you get to judgment day. And God's like, come on in, man. So glad you gave all that up. That's, you know, the message translation, of course. Take extreme action. Make things hard if they must be. Whatever it takes to get this stuff out. Whatever it takes to keep this temple clean. Whatever it takes to keep this thing occupied by one. The one. Number three, know when to stop. Proverbs 25 and 16. Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. Know when the point is. Know when you hit that fence. I need to stop. Know when you hit that boundary. Let's hit the brakes. I've gone too far. Or you're at that gradual, gradual slope, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I'm right at the edge. I'm right at the edge. 
we have to be careful. Modesty is for all ages. Modesty is essential to develop your relationship with God. Modesty is so essential. And not just in dress. I know we talked a lot about dress tonight. Dress is just a way that you practice it. Dress is an issue of the heart at its root, such as all modesty. It's in the heart first, and then it displays in other ways. Modesty. Stand your ground. Being modest will make you stand out. Standing out as a representative of God's righteousness is a very, very high honor. You can walk into your job site every day. You can wake up, let your feet hit the floor, and say, I am a representative for the best king that's ever been and ever will be. I am an ambassador to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I sure want to make sure I give him glory today. I don't want to embarrass him with something I say. I don't want to embarrass him with how I act. I don't want to embarrass him with how I fly off the handle. I don't want to embarrass him with something I chase after that I shouldn't. I want to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm lifting the king. I'm edifying the king. Can we lift our hands for just a moment? God, I want to honor you in everything I do. I want to honor you with how I dress. I want to honor you with how I act. I want to honor you in each and every way that I can. Because, God, you're worth it. God, you gave everything for me, so I want to give everything back. You gave everything for me, so I want to give it all back. God, I thank you right now. God, you're wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.